This is the Lake Ridge Faith and Culture Podcast with our series, God Rules. Women want more rights, more access to abortion, more freedom, not less. Hell is knowing your truth and lacking the courage to live it. I don't care. I have lots of things I disagree with about the Bible. Why are we doing even a series on the Ten Commandments? The law was always meant to communicate God's character and God's truth and the reality of how God made the world. An articulation of our purpose, what it means to be human according to God's intent. Here's what happens when you balk at structure, balk at God's guidelines and boundaries that he's posted. It's not good what takes its place. So when God gives us these instructions, basically it, it, it implies you're a bunch of lying, fornicating, self-worshiping yeah. louts, you know. We shouldn't think about them as arbitrary rules, but we should think about them as God showing us the way to live fulfilling, long-lasting life in the world. We believe the enemy is after your mind and heart, and as shepherds, we're jumping into the fray. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to the conversation. And we're back together again today to talk about the fourth commandment. And uh, we've got the usual suspects all here to gathered in, gathered in the room. So we've got Kyle Wisdom with us. Hello, everyone. And Van Mentor. What's up? And Keith Lowry. Hi there. And myself, Ben Lowry. We've got Jeremy pushing all the buttons. What's up, Jeremy? Hi. <laughs> we're, we are talking about the fourth commandment this is, today. This is the fifth. Oh, is it the fifth? Okay, I'm fifth. sorry. I'm sorry. We're doing... The, that's right. We did Sabbath last time. Okay. Um, so we're in the fifth commandment. <laughs> no one knows what we're talking about today. Um, we're pleading the fifth. Yeah, we're, we're pleading the fifth. This is going to be a hard one for me because I've 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 never dishonored my parents. Right. And Listen. so I'm I'm I can't wait to hear about what it's like for you guys when y'all did that because I've never. Your I, father I, is in the room. Yeah. This is going to get interesting. Yeah. Oh, I, can, okay. I, I can say as your former youth pastor, you're a liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't say to honor your former youth pastors. That's what it doesn't say. Um, so, uh, so anyway, Kyle, why don't you read the text for us? This is, a, this is a cool one. This is Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Good. And that's that. And that is that. That is the fifth commandment. So it, what's, what's interesting is that as we drift from the first table into the second table of these Ten Commandments, the first table being... Or, or tablet being all about um, our relationship with God and the the honor and respect and worship that's due Him and Him alone. As we kind of move from the Sabbath and then into the second table being our relationship with man, the very first relationship God highlights uh, for us is this relationship with our parents. That the first essential relationship that that we have, um, and He says. You know, in the New Testament, we find, you know, Jesus and Paul are talking about this being a commandment, the first commandment that comes with a promise, that it may go well with you in the land, that you'll live long in the land um, that that the Lord your God is sending you to. So there's a relationship between honoring our parents and, um, and, and, and then obviously doing well in life. Do you think that this is, do you think that this is just like a reward that God doles out willy-nilly to people who are honoring their parents like God's... It's like me saying to my kids, hey, if um, if you do well in school, I'll take you out for pizza. Right. Is, is, it, is it that kind of a thing, or is something else going on here uh, in the relationship between honoring our parents and, and the promise that, that God gives? There seems to be something proverbial about it in the sense that God is not necessarily creating a carrot for this command in a way that he doesn't for all the others that would seem rather unfair for the other commands if this is the only one that gets a that gets a a blessing attached to it um though i think it is something to motivate this the obedience to this command it seems to be more of a statement of reality that those who honor their parents tend to just survive longer in the in the world um i mean for the most part a lot of the things that happened to me as a child that were bad were the result of me not doing what my parents told me to do and my brothers and I getting to our own devices and um, 
causing ourselves a lot of harm and a lot of heartache. And so I think there's something just proverbial about it that he says, listen, if you're going to, if you want to survive in the world I've created, you should probably be listening to what your parents are telling you. Yeah. I think it's part of his, obviously his good design. It's the proper way for things to function. Um, had Adam and Eve obeyed their heavenly father in the garden, it would have gone well for them in a way that death wouldn't mm-hmm. have entered the picture of sin, right? And mm-hmm. so there's a wisdom, and I think it's a correlation in our relationship with the Lord himself, our, our Heavenly Father. So the way we honor, I think, our, our, our parents, um, what people see in that is a good indication of maybe how we honor our Lord, mm-hmm. you know, because if we're not obeying that, it, it, it says something. You, you brought up Adam and Eve, and I think that it introduces an interesting question, God being their father, kind of our, our first parents having God as their father in a unique way. So the question is really this. Do you believe that Adam and Eve had belly buttons? <laughs> the, the age-old question the of age, Christianity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but those were cooler than ours. I mean, yeah. <laughs> theirs were cooler than ours. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't, I, I don't even know. A belly button yeah. cannot be cooler. That's There's probably snow. not a rabbit we should chase. Um, um, hey, so... I I do think there's some relevance to the Adam and Eve question, though, in this regard. Because, not the belly button question, per se, but um, the, <laughs> um, maybe only indirectly. Um, you know, in the first few chapters of Genesis, um, God sets forth an agenda for human existence, and it revolves around procreation in the context of a family, uh, a committed clinging to your wife, sort of model that's set forth in the first three chapters of Genesis. And um, and I think that's a kind of a foundational principle for how the world is designed to work. I think when that breaks down, bad, you know, there be dragons, as they say, hmm. bad things happen there. Uh, when the mutually respecting and reinforcing roles within the family break down and and things fall then things fall apart and um and so i think there's an a sense in which what's being talked about here is is kind of to Kyle's point is proverbial in the sense that some children maybe who've been respectful of their parents get sick and die mm-hmm. some newborns who've never been disrespectful to their parents die you know and and then some people who are just real jerks to their parents live long, happy lives right. on, on the other side of that. Right, and so mm-hmm. I think that the the point here is that it's sort of a commentary on the reason for doing this, and I think the reason is grounded in God's mm-hmm. design for the family and flourishing. What mm-hmm. What will contribute to the flourishing of the members of the family is that the children honor their their father and mother, mm-hmm. and there's sort of a downstream effect of that in their own lives. Yeah, at a societal level, it's interesting that the Ten Commandments, we haven't gotten to this one yet, but it addresses every one of the corners, so to speak, of the of the nuclear family relationship. So it's uh, children honoring parents here, but then later we get do not commit adultery. So it's um, specifically the ability for the parents to be faithful to one another. So it seems to be that God, even in the Ten Commandments, is saying the foundation of human flourishing within any society must validate these particular relationships because those become sort of cornerstones of the flourishing of the rest of society. I think also it's important to note that for this audience, the parents had already been given a very interesting set of commands. They've just been given the knowledge of who God is, they have been given a, the story and history of what God has done for them. They have been given commands about how to relate to God in a way that honors him. And so I think it's no it's no accident that the next one is, okay, kids, you need to listen to these parents because I've just given them all of these things that will be for their flourishing, and they're going to communicate that to you. And so you need to you need to receive that gift from them by honoring them. Yeah, it's also, I, I guess, worth highlighting that it's um, this is not a commandment that that belongs only to the Old Covenant or something like that. This is something that gets restated and recapitulated in the New Testament, even, even the promise itself. So it's not like God's saying, hey, 
Israelite kids, obey your Israelite parents and you'll live long in the land of Israel. You know, it's very universally applied across the board. I like to say there's a cause and effect relationship. We've used the word proverbial, but there's a cause and effect relationship to the extent that a, a child, if he's if he's honoring his parents, then for, first of all, we should probably talk about what it looks like for a child to honor their parents. But for a child to honor their parents, among other things, it probably means that you're heeding their advice. You're taking in their wisdom, like the Proverbs do say. Listen to your father's instruction. Listen to your mother's instruction. Obey what it is they're telling you to do. A child who does that is um, has learned from the lessons that his parents learned and is more likely to survive. I mean, his parents survived at that point, right? Mm-hmm. So he's likely to survive if he follows the wisdom that his parents give him. So there's a cause and effect relationship there as well. Um, I, I, I think it's also, we, we, we need to talk about a couple things. First of all, what does it look like? What does it really mean to honor your parents? But then secondly, um, uh, not only is there a reward, so to speak, attached to this, like cause and effect relationship, if you do this, you live long in the land, but there's also a consequence that God assigns to... Um, uh, there's a consequence that God assigns to those who don't honor their father and mother or show peculiar disrespect. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, God says, you got to kill those kids. Hmm. All right? So he takes very serious. It's not like this is just sort of, oh, it's one of the laws of the universe. You know, you got to honor your hmm. parents, and if you do that, then you, then you, then you d- basically do well. It's, it's more than that to the Lord. If, if there were kids who were uniquely disrespectful to their parents— God said that they should be stoned. Um, so we need to talk about what is it that it means to honor your father and mother, and then why is it such a big deal to the Lord that um, that's, that a consequence like that would be attached to breaking a commandment? At the, I think at the very base level, when you're talking about honoring a parent, specifically within the season of life we might call minority, right? So when you're a child in the house of your parent, honoring has to begin with the concept of obedience. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think maybe a nugget of that that maybe continues on as you become an adult, and I'm pretty early on in this, uh, you know, I've spent much more time in my parents' house at this point in my life than I've spent out of it. Um, But I think one of the things that's continued is the idea of deference, to defer to the wisdom that I get from my parents, not in the sense that I always, they're not making commands of me at this stage in my life, being you know being married and on my own, but I do have the ability to defer to the wisdom that they have. And so I think honoring comes with, at its very basic idea, the idea of obedience and then deference. Um, and I would also say just this general idea of high regard that, their opinions, their thoughts, their concerns are of great importance to me, kind of whatever they end up being, um, that I would value the things that they value, maybe. And I think to your question about why such a severe consequence for rebellion uh, from children to parents, you know, again, I think it goes back, God created, you know, our moms and dads as authority structures in our lives and and into have a disregard for that, to rebel against them, to dishonor them in ways that really uh, maybe in, in, within some hearts or minds could care less about their position that God has assigned them. Um, it just served, the consequence serves to show this brings destruction. Mm-hmm. This brings an end to mm-hmm. people that act this way. Mm-hmm. And again, it, I think it's just a correlation to what our Heavenly Father is calling on for people to come to Him, and, and He's our Father, and we honor Him and walk after um, Him through His Son, Jesus. And so that's, that's what stands out in my mind as to why the severity of it. Um, yeah, and I would, I would add to that. I think you're right. I would add to that that, that, that um, this is sort of a civil code that's in view here, and if you know, it's bad for all of society for there to be people sort of openly flaunting authority. Uh, of any kind. It's bad for all of society for that to be the case. It doesn't mean that we go around killing everyone who openly flaunts authority. Mm-hmm. Not today, anyway. Um, but 
but with that in view, there, there's there. It was a more far-reaching issue than just hey, a little back sass here, a little back sass there, mm-hmm. right? Right. Um, well, well, I I also think I mean I'm speculating a little bit here because I don't know for sure, but I I think about the fact that if you're on if you have picket or sentinel duty in a war, and you fall asleep on watch, uh, you can be shot by your commander. And it's because in that context, and as part of that undertaking, taking a nap can be fatal to the group. Mm-hmm. Mm. One picket taking a nap can be fatal to the group and let the enemy inside the wire. And so I think, you know, clearly God doesn't call out capital punishment elsewhere for children who are rebellious. And so one thought I've had is that maybe the project that he had underway with the people of Israel at that time, uh, this was fatal to the project Hmm. and to the community that he was trying to create to take possession of the land, and that, um, you know, I'm not sure um, it's the contextual circumstance that make that particular act capital punishment worthy Hmm. versus Hmm. other contexts where it may not you know, he may not be trying to work the same things yeah. out in history. And it may know? also be worth saying that he, you know, um, the hierarchy that God imbues within the institutions that he designs, he takes seriously. Yeah. Um, and they should, you know, they're flaunted at your peril. And, um, you know, the government has been, for instance, the state has been tasked by the Lord with bearing the sword. And you flaunt that at your peril. You know, you... you, you if you rise up against the state, they've they've been ordained by God to come down on you with the sword. Um, there's there's a distinct relationship it seems between your perspective on authority in the home and your perspective on authority kind of in all spaces. Yeah. So it's no accident that God puts this right after He says, "Hey, honor me as God, the authority that is mm-hmm. God." And then for those of you that understand this as kids. Your your next great authority is your parents, and we all kind of have had that relationship in our lives. And so to your point, Ben, I think it's – he's saying – he's sort of walking down the authority ladder and saying every authority that you have, there is an importance to honor that authority in the mm-hmm. position that God has given it. And your lack of authority, specifically in the realm of the family, mm-hmm. is going to be indicative of your general view of authority, mm-hmm. probably of God, probably of the state, and – to, ben, to Van's point as well, that has such dire consequences. Mm-hmm. That is such destructive consequences. And it's interesting that the motivation he puts in this passage is not necessarily for the parent. He says it's not so the parents will be able to sleep at night. He says it's so that the child will, will live. Mm-hmm. And it, it's for the benefit of the child first and foremost that they learn to honor their parents. The, uh, the radical LGBTQIA+. Um, the plus is the, is the good part because they're just going to keep adding letters. So um, there's a radical agenda that's that's being employed and applied in our schools, uh, even at the very youngest. I was watching a video recently of this um, uh, preschool teacher celebrating the fact that she's got two year olds in her class. You know, um, some one day showing up as a boy and the next day showing up as a girl and the next day showing up as something in between if there is such a thing, just loving it, thinking they're doing But what I think is especially pernicious is the fact that a lot of these schools and the counselors in these schools will will hide information from parents that the kids are sharing. And so they're creating an even greater wedge between the student, the child, and their parents. And uh, something Jesus says comes to mind in this regard when he says— um, Anyone who causes one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and pitched into the sea, right? Um, God takes seriously the relationship, you know, kids, innocence, the relationship of kids to their parents, and it seems to me that for the same reason he might be willing to say, hey, a child who's openly disrespectful and 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 and." uncorrectable, you know, whether that's because it corrupts the project that mm-hmm. God had in view within the context of trying to launch this holy nation or 
whether whether it has to do with someone who's corrupting that child mm-hmm. and his relationship with his parents, it's not going to go well for the person who messes with the parent-child relationship or who corrupts a child um, in any way. Jesus you know? actually specifically calls out teachers in, in Mark chapter 7. He calls out the teachers who were telling kids, hey, listen, if you want to give something to God, you can declare the honor you were going to give to your parents as banned, as uh, as removed, and give that to God instead. So, you know, I, I don't know what all the specifics of that situation looked like, but he mm-hmm. said, listen, you're taking the commandments of God and substituting them for the traditions of men. Mm-hmm. And it seemed his particular concern was, you're taking away from parents and children the proper relationship of honor and obedience and substituting a relationship of deference to these other teachers and these other traditions. Um, and you see this throughout history. Anytime a culture wants to radically change itself, radically revolutionize, radically transform, the state wants to take over the minds of children, it is always, first and foremost, they have to destroy the yeah. relationship with the family and the parents in particular. Yeah. And there's a popular idea today that there's no such thing as a bad culture. It's just a different culture. And so cultures really aren't, shouldn't be judged or weighed on any given standard. It's just kind of like, well, hey, that's just their culture, right? Um, but but I, I personally believe that the scriptures hold up a standard for an ideal culture. And you, your, your culture is either good or bad, and your society either thrives or wilts um, to the degree that it aligns with the truth about reality that God reveals to us in scripture. Mm-hmm. So... Um, there's some things I feel like about our society today that do war against uh, a healthy parent-child relationship. W- one of those being sort of the outsourcing of education to to the state. Now, there's been some good things that come out of that. There's been some bad things that have come out of that. It's not all one thing. That's not the point. The point is that I think it it creates a great distance between parent and child, um, such that uh, uh, you know Deuteronomy six. Um, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, right? Yeah, I can't I remember because so. mind gets three. introduced in the New Testament. Yeah. Um, and then love your neighbor as yourself. It's the greatest commandment. It's the Shema. Like, do, do this. And then it says, teach these things to your children. And he gives us the context for that teaching. And it's like, when you walk down the road in the morning, when you're working in your shops, when you're sitting at the table eating, and these are experiences that are largely... Um, missing in American family life um, because of how isolated we tend to be as family units. And I'm wondering if that, what you guys think about, um, have we diminished the role of parent in the child's life? Is the parent as much of an authority figure in the child's life as maybe God intended today? Or are they sort of like showing up at the end of the day, giving some advice, um, there for affirmation, there for friendship, there for a little wrestling on the floor and then you know like well i think without realizing that parents have outsourced their responsibility to the school to the church even Mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. the youth pastor Mm -hmm. you know sunday school teacher (laughs) (laughs) i'm willing to take the villain spot in this particular situation good you know and the reasoning i mean if they ever stopped to think about it it would be we're so busy we don't have time to be that kind of figure but those are just excuses we make for ourselves you know to not take the time to teach them as we go along, teach them in the shop, teach yeah. them, you know. So we got to own the responsibility that God's given to us and, and see that it's a good thing and it's worth our time and not giving it over to someone else. You know, it wasn't that long ago that, in the, you know, in the course of human history that my own well-being and the well-being of even my own, you know, nuclear family would have been attached to my, um, how well I listened to my father as he was training me up in the family trade, right? Um, and and if I had flaunted that, if I was disrespectful, if I ignored his instruction, then m- like my livelihood would have been greatly at risk, and the livelihood of any wife that um, you know had the misfortune of being attached to a lout like me uh, would w- w- it would have affected her livelihood and our children as well. So um, that intimate relationship between parent and child that 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 truly determine sort of the, the the livelihood and the well-being of the child moving forward has been obfuscated, I think, a little bit by um, 
the opportunity of the open marketplace today in a kind of a weird way. I just think it's interesting to talk through um, how the relationship between parent and child is, has migrated over the years. doesn't look exactly the same way. Um, and so it's almost like the need really to care about my parents' instruction has been vastly diminished. Um, well, it's diluted. Yeah. It, it, you know, it, That's a better word. <clears throat> it's... Um, and it's partly an artifact of um, this highly specialized society we live in and the economic implications of the efficiency that that specialization offers. And that may sound like kind of a weird abstract comment, but this problem of fathers being drawn outside the home and not kind of living and working around their children is an artifact of choices we've made as a culture about how we're going to support ourselves, how we're going to sustain ourselves. And instead of the home being truly a self-sustaining economy, we're sort of all expected to plug into the to the national economy, now the global economy. Um, but I do think, and this maybe is a real um, comment directed at young men, I do think that young men, if they choose to, can be very intentional about cultivating skills that allow them to uh, sustain themselves and their family while making their home a really self-sustaining economy. I, you know, there, there's there's no law here. This is not a, a hard and fast, you know, doctrinal principle. But I do think that we're living in a time where young men and parents who are directing young men would be wise to guide their sons toward pursuing the intentional development of skills that uh, are essential to human flourishing. Right. I think this is, frankly, uh, characteristic of a lot of the trades, um, for example, um, that, um, that really more than other types of jobs lend themselves toward independence, uh, f- family independence and worker independence. Than, than say going into an office and being, you know, part of a large uh, corporation. So I think Christians need to start thinking really counterculturally about how they're directing their children to sort of prepare for their um, taking up the responsibilities sure. of a household. Right. Yeah. You speaking know. speaking of the trades, I saw this cool article the other day. Um, it was signing day at this particular high school. I forgot what state this was in. Most of the time, that's for guys and girls that are going to play sports in college, right? Well, one of the kids that he was a graduating senior, it was signing day, and and when these athletes, are, you know, signing on the on, on the dotted line, they'll have the coach from that university standing behind them, parents, and they're clapping. This guy had the boss from the plumbing company that he's an apprentice at, and he's going straight into the trade of plumbing, and everybody was just like, "This is awesome! This is a fantastic kid, and he knows what he wants to do with his life." And yeah, yeah it awesome. was just, it was just such a yeah. cool story. Yeah. Well, awesome. you know, I think a conversation like this can easily leave you with this sense of helplessness because you look at the state of the world today and the distance that is created between parent and child within the context of creating a relationship that's truly one of authority or life giver and necessary wisdom to one who needs to be molded and shaped and you kind of go well how do we we can't we can't refashion all of society all of a sudden to sort of make this better um and yet, I mean, there are Christian communities who have done that. They've actually refashioned societies in such a way that uh, they've, they've created kind of a countercultural Christian community within which parents really are handing down trades, and there's there's a there's a home economy, and there's... Um, I, I, I think there's a related thing. So we've talked about how young men can think differently about, and parents can think differently about training young men to do this. I also think there's a, there's a corollary for young women... And the corollary for young women, maybe you're a young woman who's listening to this and you hope to find a, a godly young man someday and make a home with him and produce children with him and all of that to the good and as it should be. But you need to ask yourself what your expectations are for the kind of home and the circumstances in which that's going to exist. One of the things that's happened in our culture is there's been a continual ratcheting up of expectations um, about um, the kinds of homes we live in. Uh, You know, when I grew up, we lived in perfectly fine homes, but they were nothing like 
the 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 homes you you buy today on the market, right? These these homes today are palatial compared to the homes I grew up in. And so if you're a young woman wanting to start a family and you'd like to sort of raise your children or maybe you want to be involved in the education of your children, maybe you need to ask yourself, do you do you does all that have to happen in the context of granite countertops and swimming pools in the backyard? Hmm. Or can it can it occur in a in a more um, uh, achievable expectation for someone who who wants to do that in the context of a single income uh, or a small business that maybe you and your husband run. So all that to say, both young women and young women, or young women and young men who are kind of coming out of the home and thinking about, you know, kind of their adult future can be thinking counterculturally about what this looks like so that the kinds of instruction we see in Scripture about, you know, how we teach our children and the sustained engagement we have with our children it can actually be lived out mm-hmm. you, you don't have to get sucked into the treadmill yeah well, there's a lot of cultural issues i think probably bear on the relationship parents have with their kids um and so getting getting back to this topic of you know uh, that god wills for children to truly honor their parents and to respect those who came before them it's indicative I think of how bad things have become in our culture that we live in a world in which we're tearing down our own history. We're, 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 we're doing all that we can to rewrite the past because we don't want the wisdom of the ones who came before us. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's, a, there's a level, there's, there's a depth of ingratitude there and arrogance that has to be called out. And I think it's one of the reasons that God hates it so much. Um, God's all about gratitude, and anytime somebody hates the history that they've inherited and even seeks to go back in and change it and rewrite it and say, no, that's not the way we want it to be, there is a, there is a, it's kind of the height of ingratitude, and I think there's a relationship between honoring your parents and, um, and caring about uh, the past itself, respecting and honoring the ones who came before you. And I, I even believe that in the church, we're at risk of sinning against this principle of honoring your past to the extent that we only favor the next and the now hmm. um, and turn our back on even the heritage that we've received as Christians. Isn't this sort of a, a uh, connected to the general uh, mentality now that we worship youth hmm. over Absolutely. age and experience, right? Absolutely. So Rousseau had this view that that people aren't fallen, they're corrupted by... The culture and the and the natural sort of progression of that idea is that older people are more damaged, younger people are more pure, right? And so um, that sort of plays itself itself out in our culture where we just revere, revere young people, and um, and we sort of eschew or 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 keep at arm's length the wisdom of that comes with age. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, we've really fundamentally changed what we think being a parent and raising children is for. We've there used to be some sort of concept that humans, when they're born, have a lot of great things about them, right? Like we all understand that there's this amazing God-given potential and beauty and wonder to a child, but we also know that they're little barbarians who punch each other for no good reason and who <laughs> scream and cry about whatever they want, mm-hmm. and so. Part of the role of a parent was to civilize and mature and form that child into the kind of person that honors God. There's a lot of raw material and rough edges that have to get you know scraped off to kind of make you into a person that honors the Lord. We've kind of completely reversed that concept now to where all a parent seems to be asked to do and all a parent seems to expect of themselves now in a lot of circles is my job is to is to facilitate a child to be the most of what they currently are as possible. Right. And let them explore all of their idiosyncrasies as though that were the goal of humanity. So which there's is, a there's a proverb that everyone quotes, and it's, you know, uh, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old he won't depart from it. Yeah. Um, Bob Chisholm, Dr. Bob Chisholm, uh, he's a, if you're listening and you're not a member of Lakeridge, then you won't know. He's a member here, uh, Old Testament scholar, a member of the church, Sunday school teacher. Anyway, um, he he talks a lot about that verse because he believes it's been mistranslated. And the actual translation that he believes applies, the Hebrew's kind of murky there. But the evidence that's there suggests that this 
favorite proverb of so many parents. If all if I just do the right things, train up a child in the way he should go, then when he's old, he'll be awesome. He'll be great, and he'll continue in those ways. There, that's not actually what the proverb's saying. The proverb's actually saying, set a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Mm. It's a warning against exactly the thing that you're talking about. Mm. If you affirm a child in his way, which, by the way, in the Proverbs is always, his way is always the way of the fool. Hmm. If you affirm a child in his way and just set him on the course that he chooses for himself and he wants to be this and he says he's this, then just affirm, 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 affirm. Guess what? When he's old, he's going to be jacked up. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I think to your point about, I think this gets extended into the idea of looking at history, looking at our past. We sort of believe now that the generation we currently have is by default the best generation we've got. It's as though every generation has been waiting on this generation to arrive and mm-hmm. fix all of our problems. And while you know I'm a youth pastor, I believe in the current generation. I believe that, they, that God has given them as a gift to us, and only time will tell what the Spirit wants to do in all of us through them. But I think the amount of arrogance that has to be present in a person to say, I have nothing to learn from thousands of years of those who have come before me and who have walked the faith journey, walked the life journey before me. That is a dangerous place to put oneself as sort of the pinnacle of history. (laughs) Well, I shared with you guys before about the Methodist church that um, asked everybody 50 and over to leave their congregation for a year. Um, And then they could reapply for membership a, a year from now, but they wanted the older ones to continue giving in order to support the ministries. But that was that was their way of refreshing and resetting, uh, you know, ministry for for their church. And it, you know, it lends itself to this this faulty thinking that there's nothing to learn from those that go before us. And yeah, that, it's it's a microcosm of the problem. Yeah, with society, that parents, the aged among us, the yeah. wise among us, are really just good for wallets. You would do better to sit right? at their yeah. feet and listen and and stop talking. Right. Yeah. You well, know? and listen, Jesus had a healthy understanding that there's a lot of things that we can we can correct and and understand to be wrong about the generations that came before us. He has this interesting conversation with the Pharisees where he says. Listen, you're 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 venerating the things that your fathers and, and fathers meaning, you know, ancestors did. Uh, but they're the ones who killed the prophets and now you build their tombs. And so he says there is a way for you to follow in the footsteps of the previous generations that continues their sins. Mm-hmm. And he says, Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Learn what it is to look at the past and say this is th- these are things that we can honor and we can appreciate and we can love about them. There are things that we need to stop doing the same this we don't do the same sins our fathers did. Yeah. Um yeah, we we've, we've reversed the flow of respect some somewhere over the last century or two. Hmm. We've reversed the flow of respect from Christian or children should respect their parents to everyone idolizes youth. Yeah. Right? And yeah. so it that when that flow gets reversed, everything kind of gets wonky. I remember seeing the, an example of this um, during all of the George Floyd riots of, of recent history. Um, and there were young Christians chastising their elders for not taking certain positions that they, that they believed were the right positions. So rather than listening to their elders, they were holding their elder, elders accountable to their peer group's conclusions. Right. Well, you haven't arrived at the conclusions that my peers have come to, and so therefore, you're you're out of sync with what's true and right. And well, that that's that's actually getting it backward. That's the tail wagging the dog. So there's a there's a movie that came out with a lot of controversy over the last oh gosh, a couple months ago. It was called a movie called Turning Red, that Disney came out with, and there's a lot of things that you can talk about with that movie that have that are problems with them. The one that I think best connects to this conversation is the exactly that perspective within the film. The whole point of the film by the end of it is the only people I can learn from are my peers and the person most likely to hold me back from a good life are my parents. And that that is the perspective that is being just ingrained into every child mm-hmm. in our culture now. Yeah, and it Everyone who has a child knows that the thing the child needs most up to, like, there's, I can't remember, what is the, what is the term for, um, it's a graph where on the front end and the back end, you kind of, it's not a bell, but anyhow, on the front end of life and on the back end of life, mortality rates 
increase dramatically. So like up until a certain point, a child is really likely to hurt themselves and die. Hmm. Up until a certain age. And then up to a certain age, they're pretty stable. But then up to a certain age and the other end of the spectrum, that mortality rate goes way up again. They're much more likely to hurt themselves and die. We're basically saying to the front end of the mortality spectrum, do what you want. We're not going to provide any bumpers. We're not going to provide any resistance. In fact, we're going to cater to your appetites and your inclinations and affirm them at every step of the way. Um, and and all, all we're doing is increasing the likelihood that it will not go well with them in the land, <laughs> right? Which is exactly what God said. Parents were there to ensure that it will go well with you in the land if you heed the wisdom. I remember um, there, was a, there was a girl who was writing about looking for a church, and she was saying she was sick and tired of these evangelical Protestant churches catering to her demographic. She was in the 18 to 35-year-old demographic, bending over backward to put young people on stage. I've heard recently that um, there are some worship groups that won't allow you on stage if you're over 50 or if you're over 40, right? They, they're, they're catering to the youth market. And they're just, if you talk to them, they'll say, well, we're just trying to attract the ones who need Jesus, you know. That's, well, okay, maybe. Um, but As if 50-year-olds don't need Jesus. But there was this one girl who was writing about her search for a church to belong to, and she said, I'm so sick and tired of these churches catering to me. She says, I'm desperate for a church who will resist me. That's interesting. So Malcolm Gladwell has written, is an author, has written a bunch of books, and one of the books is a book called Outliers. It's kind of some interesting stories of people who've been phenomenally successful in certain areas. And one of the conclusions that gets drawn is that uh, it's only through a massive investment of time and uh, skill development that these, that these kind of extreme success stories emerge. And and you have sort of that reality on the one hand. On the other hand, you have things like American Idol where, you know, the idea is we're going we're gonna to make an idol out of someone. We're going to find someone who has really no experience in anything hardly. And within a few months, they're going to be the American Idol, you know. And um, not to diminish the, the beauty of the singing or the power of the human voice or any of that. My point here is just that there are some things that can't be— there's, there's no substitute for the accumulation of years for certain mm-hmm. hard things to do mm-hmm. and know. And, and I, mm-hmm. I think, too, as for those that are parents as in particular, being willing to hold yourself to a higher standard when it comes to what you're trying to give to your kids. So being, being willing to take on the responsibility – you've used the word several times here, Ben – authority. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents would balk at that claim, at that – title they would say i don't want to be an authority because that's somehow oppressive or that's somehow that's terrifying i want to be a friend right Uh, i want to be a a a cheerleader right Right. and it's like your your child needs more than a cheerleader they need more than a friend they got plenty of those they need someone who can be an authority they need a father yeah and a mother Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i i uh as we're sitting here today um i'm 62 years old so I'm definitely the oldest guy in the room. Um, but here's, what's, here's what I've discovered. So at 62 years old, most of my life, I've been trying to figure out what in the world's going on. You know? I mean, I find that to be true, right? And, but here's what I've noticed. It's really just over about the last six or seven years of my life that I'm starting to sort of connect lots of interesting dots. See enough patterns I'm over starting to see a patterns. long enough period of time? A long enough period of time. Yeah. I mean, and I'm more often than at any other point in my life, I'm sort of saying, oh yeah, I've seen this before. Oh yeah, I know how this turns out. You know, and uh, it really wasn't until, for me, until the last, like I say, six or seven years where I could really say that happens often. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I was alive in paying attention in the late 70s and early 80s, right? So I know how this inflation thing works out, right? I know how it comes, and I know what causes it, and I know how painful it's going to be to make it go away. Right. You know, we're probably going to see double-digit interest rates on mortgages before we're through. I was a teller at a savings and loan in in 1980, and little old ladies would come in and buy a one-year CD, and they were getting 16%, 17% interest on their CDs. Can't imagine. Um, 
you know um, i don't even listen to cds anymore yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly that shows how much he knows yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so my point is um man i just don't know how you you know wisdom is not something that um can be had on the cheap yeah there's hmm. google applies the illusion of understanding to things hmm. it's cheap information yeah it's information gained without cost yeah. And so um, it, it, there's a difference between knowledge or information and understanding. And what I think we have in our culture is a growing uh, understanding gap, a void of understanding, which leads to a void of wisdom, because understand, wisdom is downstream even from understanding. And, and I'm, my fear is, you know, to your point about being 62 and having something to say all of a sudden, I, I, think, that, I think that there's a lot of parents— who even though their children are called to honor them as parents, they don't have anything to say to their children. They were raised without parents, maybe. They, were, um, they, they haven't gained wisdom, and so they, they, genu- they genuinely are just big kids themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's kind of a backlog of children who've just grown up into even bigger children and then had more children. And, and I, I guess it's maybe incumbent upon us as the church— to offer something to say, to offer the kind of wisdom to parents that they need to become that authority that their child needs in their life rather than just the friend or the sibling who's who's bigger and older. Yeah, better know? better late than never. And I right. would say uh, to Keith's comments about what he sees at this stage of his life, um, you know, I think the younger take it as an insult when they're told, look, you, you've got more growing and understanding to do that. It's not the the older trying to put that person down it's just a fact mm-hmm. and there's no way to go through it unless uh, w- un- until you go through the passing of time and have a open ear open heart to receive that good instruction mm-hmm. so you know i when i became a youth pastor i think in ministry guys could just feel threatened you know uh somebody comes in but, but i'm in this position i know it all i knew that i didn't know it all i had the benefit of having Keith and Craig and Brad and Deborah, when you guys were younger, and Keith, do you remember the word what I said to you when you told me that you're about to you and Becca were about to take off from our previous church? Yeah, I sort of do. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, went to dinner one night. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was a that was a hard dinner, but um, I told your I told Keith, I said, man, Keith, you, my dad must have been cooking. You said it was a hard, no, no, the, hard well, day. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah, it was a, yeah. Well, anyway, um, I, I told Keith at church once, and he let me know that they were probably going to be moving on. And I said, you can't leave me. You're like a Solomon to me. Because I, I valued the wisdom that somebody ahead of me brought to the table. And, and you know, that still holds true today. It's not like, you know, I've caught up to him in age. Thank goodness, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you never will. Yeah. Well, that's the but, funny but, thing. Yeah. But you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, it, I I count that kind of relationship with older people that have that are ahead of us. No matter how many years it, it happens to be, um, and and sometimes you know, wisdom is not always dictated by age. You know, it could mm-hmm. be you could have a, a young guy that's really opened his heart to the Lord as he should, and just is mm-hmm. yeah possesses. You know, he's a Josiah kind of guy with a sensitive sure. heart. Sure. But I guess what I'm trying to get across is no matter what stage of life you are, value the gift yeah. that those that are ahead of you yeah. and have been there and done that have because it is a blessing that really can keep you out of situations that they've already been through that maybe you don't well, have so to go through. It, this kind of speaks to this this false assumption that this is the commandment, this is the only commandment with uh, term limits, right? That it sort right. of expires yeah. when you turn 18. Yeah. When you become legally adult, you no longer have to honor your father and mother. There, that we've, we've, we've referenced him before. For some reason, Bill Britt just keeps getting quoted in these conversations, but Bill Britt used to talk about, um, he, he's a traveling uh, sort of revival missionary evangelist, and he goes all over the world and preaches the gospel. But he used to talk about what it means to honor your parents. And he said, when I was a kid, I, I, I did what my dad told me because I was scared. I knew if I didn't do what he told me, I'd get a whooping, you know? He said, and then I got older, I, I did what my dad told me because I knew that there were certain blessings involved with obedience. Yeah, he wanted the car keys. I wanted the front. car keys. So I would yeah, do yeah. what he said so I could get the car keys. 
and go to the game or the movie or whatever. He said, but then I got even older and I had kids of my own and I did what my dad asked me to do because I loved him hmm. and I valued his wisdom. Yeah. And there's there's growth throughout your life, to your point, Van, you never outgrow your need to honor your parents, to honor your elders. It's funny, I've been in this church a long time. At the time we're recording this, I'm, I'm just a few minutes away from turning 40, it seems. And, and yet, the people who've been here at the church just as long as I have are still just as much older than I am as they ever were. <laughs> you know? <laughs> funny um, how that works. So, yeah. like, I am getting older, but so is everybody else. <laughs> and so there's still wisdom hmm. to be gleaned there. So my dad had an interesting statement to me one time because m- my father is the, the father of three boys. And so um, because we're his sons— we still bear the family name everywhere we go. And my dad has made comment on that before. He says, I've reached the point in my life now where most people who know me, you know, when you're a kid, everybody knows you as, oh, you're such and such as boy, right? So for me, it's like, oh, you're, you're Mike's boy, right? Well, he's gotten to the stage in his life now where most people he meets, they know him yeah. as, oh, you're, you're Kyle's father. Exactly. That, and that's the way it works. He, he said it was interesting. He said, my name is going before me with y'all. So he said, and, and it was an interesting moment for me in terms of thinking about what it means to honor my father is that I, you know, we talk about don't take the name of the Lord in vain in this in this podcast a little bit earlier. I think there's something about honoring your parents that is similar in the sense of don't take the name of your parents in vain. Don't bear their name and reputation before them to other people so that when they meet your parents, they go, oh, oh no. you're the you're the one who created this louse. Uh, so it's your um, fault. <laughs> right. It's And so I realized I had a responsibility, even as an adult, to honor my father so that when people hear his name being spoken, it is connected with reputations of character and decency and holiness and love. And as a dad, I can say that, you know, this psalm where it says, like, um, arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. I think... I understand that now better than I have ever understood it in my life, and certainly better than I understood it when my kids were little. But I've, for, for the very reason you talk about, Kyle, because you and Ben and others are living out your lives in ways that are um, that are easy for your parents to be grateful for. Uh, they and and you're in the fight with them, in the in the in the cosmic conflict that we're engaged in in matters of faith all of a sudden you realize as a dad yeah that's right you know uh, these are these are important weapons in a common cause uh for a father um i want to say one other thing about this whole honoring business um i for one am anxious for the younger generation to take over everything so long as they pay the bills. I mean, I, I, I would be happy, you know, to surrender all of my role if someone will pay the bills. I but, second that. Yeah, uh, but, but what I was going to say was that, that day's actually going to come yep. for all of us. And part of honoring your parents, I mean, we think about it as do what they say or take their, their wisdom and guidance. But there comes a time in our lives when what our parents, what, what constitutes honoring our parents is caring for them in their last days. Yeah. At at a time when maybe they can't give you advice. Maybe there's nothing you have to gain from doing that other than showing them honor and respect for who they've been in your life. Yeah, I've got that pulled up, Keith. Yeah. In first Timothy five four. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family. And so repaying their parents and grandparents for this is pleasing to God. Yeah. And you know, so yeah, I agree. This honoring is not just about listening well and obeying, but also taking care of, in the same of them in their later years, the way they took care of you. Yeah, you know. So, so I have a, I have a question for the circle because we're all kind of in different stages of you know how this honoring of of parents works out. With, I feel like we have to ask the question of, for the parent who fails, for the parent who doesn't honor the Lord in the way that they live. What does a commandment like this look like for the child who wants to continue to honor their parents when their parents are not ones who honor the Lord? I'll say, um, you know, I, I thank the Lord for my mom and dad. They they raised us going to church, shared the gospel with my brother and I. 
Uh, my parents divorced after my brother and I were adults and married, but I can remember sitting with my dad in a nursing home uh, when he was still able to talk, and he would just, on a regular basis, I'm so sorry I failed you, I'm so sorry I failed you, you know, I wish I would have been a better dad in this in this area or that area. And, and I said, Dad, I said, look, I, I just want you to know that I, I love you, I, I'm thankful for you, um, none of us are perfect, and where we see ourselves failing, it's just an opportunity for us to start obeying the Lord and follow after Him as we should. But Dad, I, I don't hang anything over your head. I just want you to know that I love you as your son, and that—that's that—that was my response to my dad, and I meant that. I wasn't just trying to make him feel better, and it wasn't sugarcoating areas where he didn't walk after the Lord as he should. I mean, it was in a sense he was confessing and repenting all at the same time, but um, still, my dad, and I still honor the position that he holds, and um, I love him. They—they—they they, they say in the military, you salute the uniform and not the man. Hmm. Um, and, uh, I think there's a principle there, which is, um, you know, not everybody bears up under their responsibility for their role, but they, they are sort of ordained by God in that role. Having said that though, I think that the passage in Ephesians where this commandment is alluded to actually says, obey your parents in the Lord. So I think there, there is a hierarchy of loyalties, uh, that we as Christians, uh, have embraced, and our first loyalty is to Christ, and to His Lordship, and to the Father, um, and and so I think if we're talking about the question of obedience, I think uh, obedience to parents stops when it becomes disobedience to God. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of a, a threshold beyond which. Um, well, and, I think a child shouldn't go. Honoring the Lord is. To you know, kind of to your point, is universally and without question honorable. Yes, and so mm-hmm. to honor the Lord, regardless of the context, is an honor to your parents. You can kind of do what Pinocchio did when he lost his father. He jumped into the ocean, swam into the belly of the beast, and pulled his father out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can do the honorable thing, and and seek redemption even for your parents you know i know people who um came to christ and their parents were lost and they spent their lives sharing the gospel with their parents and didn't feel like it didn't feel like honoring their parents at the time but when dad or mom comes to christ and they're in the 11th hour of their life um they realize in the end that what they took to be disrespect or uh, confrontation was actually love and honor that they were offering. And so I think honoring the Lord is always honorable. Um, it's just the highest claim. Uh, I'd like to ask this question as we kind of wrap up this, this, our conversation on the fifth commandment. Um, what are some ways that we as a church can help? And I do think we have this responsive responsibility there's a there's an ethos or a spirit of the age that idolizes youth, and we've talked about this and um, and disdains history and disdains the elderly, but puts all the emphasis and uh, <clears throat> um, hope on 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 youthfulness. How can the church sort of? What are some specific ways that we can model a better way? Um, be a distinct kind of society that that doesn't tilt in the direction of catering to youth, but um, honors the the elderly or our history. Yeah, there's a great verse in Jeremiah six, verse sixteen. Thus says the Lord: Stand by the roads and look, and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it and find rest for your souls. I think, you know, especially as a youth pastor, I feel the burden to train youth to ask for ancient paths. And I think one of the ways I model that as a, as a teacher and as a leader is involving the voices of the past and of my elders when I'm asking important questions. So if I'm teaching on a subject that's difficult in the Bible, you know, quoting the voices of theologians gone by as as, you know, 
not infallible, but certainly authoritative statements on what this can mean and on how we can apply it. When I'm talking about what we believe at Lake Ridge, um, quoting and speaking of the words I've heard from our elders and of our pastors, um, when we're singing songs, singing words that have been with the church for hundreds and hundreds of years, just exposing youth to the voice of the past in a positive way. I think for a lot of them, they just don't, they're just not exposed to it. They're only exposed to the voices of their peers. And so exposing them in a positive way to the voice of the past, I think can really make a difference in how they view their father and their fathers. Yeah. Yeah, I would say um, along those lines, you know, so we, we had, my dad and I, we were talking about this conversation before we ever had it. We were just on the phone kind of chit-chatting about where are we going tomorrow? Is it the fourth, fifth? What, what are we talking about? Murder? <laughs> what is it? And um, we, so we started talking about what, what might be said in a conversation like this. And he quoted, I guess it was G.K. Chesterton who said, um, never tear down a wall until you understand why it was built. And I think that Christians and churches have been tearing down a lot of walls that a lot of structures and things that were in place for the church, whether it's in the context of our worship or in the context of leadership structure or sermons or whatever, we're tearing down a lot of walls without understanding first why they were built. Wisdom isn't never tear down a wall. (laughs) Wisdom is never tear down a wall until you understand why it was built in the first place. We're not taking the time to understand the structures that our forebears put in place in the church. Let me just give a couple examples of that. I think that we could we could think through maybe for connecting us to a, a greater deference to the past. Kyle, to use your word deference. Um, the church for centuries and centuries has been reciting the creed, not because it's been relying solely on a creed to be the substance of their faith, but because it helps put guardrails up for understanding who God is and what he's done for us. So it helps to keep the wolves out, right? Well, we've chucked it. We just didn't see any use for it. And so a lot of churches have chucked the recitation of the creed. Well, it's mindless recitation. I don't think you understand why it's there. You know, um, communion. Communion is one of these things that we've just sort of decided, well, we'll do it when we get around to it. We wouldn't, we, we wouldn't want it to lose its punch, right? So... Um, <laughs> Because we care about it so much, we're going to do it less often. You know, I I just find it funny that we haven't made come to the same conclusion about the offering. Right? <laughs> yeah. um, it loses its punch. Yeah, it loses its punch. We care so much about it, we're going to do it less often. You know, um, communion is also one of those things that binds us to the past. Every Christian throughout history has taken communion, and they've done it whenever they got together as Christians in the context of corporate worship. And we we're we're the late on the scene are the ones who've decided, meh, you know, how about twice a year? How about how about once a quarter? You know, that seems like plenty. That way we can sing more songs. You know, I I, I just think there are things we can do to connect us to the past, to anchor us to the ones who came before us, um, and in the wisdom, that- and in the wisdom that they offered, and so that we can understand their wisdom. You know, someone, C.S. Lewis said, I find it odd that someone who thinks so highly of what the Holy Spirit has told them thinks so little of what the Holy Spirit has told their grandparents. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So this <clears throat> need to understand why a wall was built is the exact reason our portables are still there after 35 years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> we, we still don't understand why they're there. Yeah. That's the problem. So, we're, we're working hard to figure that out. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then as soon as we figure it out, we're tearing them down, boy. <laughs> no, those, those walls are coming yeah. down. Yeah. You know, I, you know um, again, as a young guy growing up, my parents would, if we took some vacation trip, whatever, oftentimes would stop by relatives' homes. And, you know, they would be older. No kids. I would be bored out of my mind. I just could not stand to have to stop at somebody's house. No toys to play with. And I was forced to sit there and listen to them tell stories. And uh, what I found was after the storytelling got underway, I, I found myself sucked in and I really enjoyed listening to what was being said. So when I got to um, youth ministry days and in, in ministry, one of the things that I did that I think may be one way, and I, 
uh, to cultivate this is I would set up appointments with some of the uh, older adults in our church and just say, hey, do you mind if our youth come over uh, and just sit with you in your living room on a Saturday and just kind of tell us your life story, where you've been and, and what your life's been about. And man, the kids ate that up. They just... At first, they kind of balked at it, but I I said, just trust me, when you get in there, you're going to find this to be a a rewarding time. And we always walked out of that house feeling encouraged and and refreshed and Mm -hmm. like, that was good. We Mm -hmm. needed something like that, Mm -hmm. you know? So So my grandfather was born in 1896 and um, was a real cowboy. I mean, we've got pictures of him with a gun on his hip and out riding the fence, you know, Um, pretty interesting. And as a little boy... With, to know that your grandfather was a cowboy, a real live cowboy. Next level awesome. I mean, yeah, yeah that's, that's pretty big, <laughs> yeah. big stuff. Anyway, um, he had a second grade education. All my life I can remember him. He would read the paper and he would whisper the words to himself because he couldn't read um, just in his mind. He had to say the words. I mean, it's just very limited sort of formal education. But... He had he'd lived on the land. His Is this whole also life. the guy that later on cut the grass on Sunday and no dre- no, no different, okay, different different grandfather. grandfather? Okay, so he had this he had lived off the land and lived on the farm and been a ranch foreman and done all this stuff. He could turn his hand to anything, and so he took his second grade education and his vast practical knowledge, and he provided for himself his whole life and for his family and provided for his own retirement. And, and, and he never had a lot, but, but he had a lot of wisdom about things that allowed him to meet his obligations as a man to his wife and to his family. Uh, One small example is he, he was determined never to buy an automobile and appliance that he couldn't repair himself. Uh, and he just sort of stuck with that, and he had some really old cars. I'm stuck riding a bike. If yeah. that's the- <laughs> he had some really old cars, but he could work on and repair his cars. He needed additional income, and so he built a little one-bedroom apartment onto his garage with his bare hands uh, from from the ground up, poured the concrete, mixed it himself, did all that, and turned it into a rental room. And he, for all of my growing up years, he had at various times, renters that he had supplemented his income with. So he just had a lot of really practical knowledge, and that was the accumulation of many, many years of um, hard experience, really, mm-hmm. um, in his life. And I, my, I guess my point is, uh, back to this whole thing about uh, the generational need for prior generations hmm. uh, is that it's, it, you know however much you may think you know stuff um, you probably don't know as much as the people who came before you and you won't until you're almost gone hmm. you know so um, it's an interesting hmm. conundrum in a culture that worships you honor your father and mother that it may go well with you in the land. Words to live by. This has been a Faith and Culture Conversation, a ministry of Lake Ridge Bible Church. You can join the conversation by emailing us at faithandculture at lakeridge.org. Special thanks to Jeremy Wilkerson for producing. 